The creativity score for Ethereum, 27.3. Ethereum Classic, (laughs) (laughs) 6.8. Obviously, they looked at it and they're like, Ethereum Classic, that's just a copy of Ethereum. All right, coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about some stuff that we messed up. We're going to recap Mike's punishment. We're going to talk about Robin Hood. Robin from you and giving to the rich for some money. <clears throat> a 21-day challenge in China that is not a multi-level marketing scam. The CCID public blockchain rankings. EOS troubles. I wish we go a flagship or two without talking about those. We're going to go around the world with crypto talking about the Czech pirates. We got like four rants listed ready for you and a few mailbag questions on this episode. All right, and welcome back to another edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Michael Lockie, and I'll be guiding us through today's Friday flagship number 38, coming at you on September the 21st, 2018. Joining me today, my two co-brothers from another mother's, Brent Philbin. Oh, what's <laughs> up? Pimpin'. And Kareem Baruke. Yo, 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 be connect. All right, that got weird real quick. (laughs) Uh, For those of you that are unfamiliar (laughs) with our Friday flagship, this is our weekly recording where we discuss all the current events, the news, and other nonsense that gets tossed around in this cryptocurrency space. And I will not invest in shit coins. Gentlemen, let's get started off with some doge. Brent, you're up. Uh, yeah, we did We did our Doge 101 on Wednesday, and we messed a couple things up, as we do, we often do when we do these 101s. Uh, they, they're proof of work, but they're do, they have a merge mine with Litecoin. So they're kind of beholden to whatever happens on the Litecoin network, and they don't really have a whole lot of say in that. Um, and uh, one of the developers actually replied to a post that I put in the subreddit, but he didn't reply until after we recorded the episode. And uh, he went over a, a bunch of different things. Uh, he didn't like some of the wording I used. More more importantly, we got most of the information right. Uh, I was confusing Jackson, the creator, with the with being a developer. I like. I guess they had such a split early on that they're not really. They they almost don't like each other. Uh, his exact words were, Jackson owes me some beers. See if you can collect for me. He's not talking to me or something like that. So uh, and. Also, they're not on Binance. We said they were available everywhere. We kind of missed that Quick one. Side note, can you can you imagine if that was really it? If there was not like an underlying message, like, <laughs> like literally, he owed him like three beers, and he's like, "No, fuck that guy." <laughs> <laughs> he drank my natty light, and he didn't replace it. <laughs> that that would be a very not Doge thing to hold such a grudge, Kareem. <laughs> so that was it. Yeah, they're they're not on Binance, even though like so I took that for granted. I just I knew Doge was kind of like everywhere you get them on Robinhood. I don't know how they haven't won one of those community votes. Right. But- no. So I'll, I'll actually tell the story there. Uh, I I was doing the hosting for that episode, and and I remembered I had a transaction early on um, where I where I told a story where I used Bittrex to Cryptopia to do a a, a transfer, and I used Doge because it was cheaper than even Litecoin at the time. And I I remember thinking like which of the other exchanges was it other than Bittrex that I did that with, and I was considering Binance, but in my timeline in my head it was going to be around the time that Binance was super young, and I was like okay it probably wasn't Binance, but I, for some reason I thought they were on there. And then when I considered 
how expensive it was to get listed on there, I thought to myself, like, oh, well, then how I was going to ask Brent during the episode, how was how did they get on there? But then I remembered they had a bunch of like community votes where they were just trying to target the largest crypto communities and, and the ones that were the most active. And to me, it just made sense that they probably would have won the first one. They were like the automatic yeah. <laughs> biggest like they're the biggest community in the crypto space, in my opinion. They're like the Danica the episode, crypto. So it was just like it was automatic to me as the host. I was like, oh, yeah, they won one of those like free roll, you know, popularity contests because they're doge. They beat Danica Patrick out of a out of a NASCAR competition. Like what more could they need to do? <laughs> and I will not invest in shit coins. <laughs> Speaking of which, Kareem, why am I saying that to you and the audience in general uh, each time and not investing in shit coins? Well, I believe, Mike, that that is part of your uh, punishment for having lost the six-month portfolio contest. I got to be honest with you. like I feel like Brent relishes in this a lot more, so I'm actually going to let him describe uh, how it all went out. <laughs> Look, he just he, he just has this pizzazz that he puts in his sizzlers that he has mastered, you know? If you want to know what went down... And, and how it went down and exactly how we got to the point where Mike had to do some extra punishments on top of eating a bunch of shit. Uh, go. Oh, and Norman Love, which I've not yet received. Just <laughs> It's only been like seven minutes, but it has not. I, I don't see it anywhere. Uh, go watch. Our, it's on the YouTube channel. It's the only thing on there. It's not a flagship or like me making fun of things. And it's uh, it, it's definitely great. Uh, material. You know, we uh, Kareem didn't like it so much. Kareem started to feel really bad in the middle I'll of the I'll episode. I'll be fully honest. The, my favorite part of the entire video is how much Kareem is cringing the whole time. Like it was almost like Kareem was suffering <laughs> as much as I was. It was really entertaining. <laughs> yeah, that was. I was like, this is this, this is not winning. I was like, this doesn't feel like winning at all. <laughs> I hate it. So, so if you want to watch Mike try to eat some stuff and then end up getting some extra punishments, go ahead and do that. But today he is required to uh, say he will not invest in shitcoins at the end of uh, most or all of his statements. I just realized it would have been so much better if Brent lost because I would have like made him do exercise, but I wouldn't have felt like shitty about it because I'm like, nah, man, I'm helping you. Keep walking. (laughs) 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 I just feel like I could have actually enjoyed that punishment a little more. (laughs) This was a little bit too gross. (laughs) All right, let's get started with with the news section. Guys, recap this very early on, but Robinhood is selling your data and possibly... Not investing in shitcoins. Brent, what's going on here? Time out. I'm actually really interested in this story, Brent. I haven't read it yet, but if you remember, when we talked about Robinhood back in the day, my main question was, how the fuck do they make money? How does Robinhood make money? This, just that title that he just read, already started like firing yeah. off. Okay, so any uh, good service that you use in all of your life, from this point forward, for all of eternity, if they have a good product and they're free... And it's like, it's not clunky, like it's open source or anything. They're selling your data. That is, you're the product. If they're not shoving ads down your throat, there's no ads anywhere on on Robinhood. You can go through and have an entire experience where you buy stocks and that's it. Guys, what do you think this show is? This is the best crypto podcast in the entire world. And we are stealing your data, every (laughs) one of you. Please register at CryptoBasicPodcast.com and do not invest in shit coins. 
<laughs> so yes, they have like a. P- we're not selling your data. Just to be clear, we're not selling your data. You can keep. Yeah, it. yeah. not yet. Okay. So they they they're selling not like your metadata, like a lot of these companies are, but any of these companies are definitely selling your data. If there's no ads, you're the product. So you we in our security episode, we talk about a lot of the ways where you can mitigate the privacy uh, issues that may pop up, but. The, the end result is you need to be okay with being the product if you're using something like Robinhood. Now, uh, they have like also a premium feature, which nobody uses really. So that's why, you know, they, it looks like maybe they're not 100% selling your data, but okay, they are. What are they doing though? What are they, what exactly are they selling? They're selling your trade data, how you trade, why you trade, when you trade, what price you're willing to buy at, all that stuff to high frequency traders. They're not selling, you know, like your cell phone records to Facebook or, or whatever. Like they are selling your trade data to high frequency traders after you make it, not like before, so they can take advantage of the price movement or anything like that. So, Kareem, I, my question for you is how useful would it be to have a tremendous amount of hand histories on a, on a large group of people in poker? No, of course. Being, of being, course. Yeah, obviously, like the, the light bulb clicked in your head right away, but. To kind of give the audience an idea, like being able to figure out which paths of decision making that large groups of people are making allows you. And if you recall in our game theory episode, we talked a lot about species uh, where species can be just any group in the game theory like concept where they are rational thinkers in a certain type of way. So the more that you can divide rational thinkers into certain types of categories, the more information you're going to have available. This is able to trade, you know, trading bots. These are all, this is basically training artificial intelligence on trading, trading and do not invest in shit coins would be the purpose of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Uh, Yeah. So that, it, it, there's a lot of valuable information there and a lot of information that your your crypto YouTubers don't have when they try to tell you where you should buy the dips and where the resistance are and all that shit. Uh, that the high-frequency traders are mostly getting this on legacy stock data, but they could be getting it on crypto too. And it is important to note that it's going to be really hard to beat the people who are paying for this information because it was a lot of money. Uh, and again, it's not metadata. So, so far there is no indication – that their program can glean metadata or that they're selling it if they can glean it, but I don't think they can. So they're face. Remember we had a problem with Facebook because the information that Facebook was selling was not the information that you expect it to be selling. They're selling all this other information that you're like, how the fuck do they know how many phone calls I'm taking? Like what? And, and that was why we have such a big problem. But if you use something like Robinhood, you you just got to know that they're going to be, leveraging what you're doing on their app in to sell to advertisers so uh, it's fine as long as i mean it's kind of fine it depends on what your particular thoughts are on selling data but as far as like they're not doing anything shady here they're not the bad guys like this was posted as like oh my god they're fucking scammers they're really not yeah i'm i'm torn on this one a little bit and i'll tell you why there's a part of me that does feel that there's like a negative element to this just particularly in the sense that by selling this information to a very specific group of people, knowing that nobody else can buy or afford that information and nobody else is going to have access to that information. Well, we don't know that it's well, exclusive. In the, no, that's true. That's true. But I do know that it's probably expensive. Yes. Right. So 
my main point here is that as you improve the ability of high frequency traders to make really, really, really precision marginal decisions, in theory, you're taking away equity from the rest of the market. So my guess is that in theory, every time that Robinhood sells a package of data, the people who that data was accumulated on are losing expected value. And that expected value is being transferred to somebody who's going to data mine this data, right? So this company, and they're going to gain a little bit of value. But, but here's the only part where I'm a little bit kind of torn and it doesn't bother me as much. Robinhood actually is one of the few services that provides people an opportunity to invest without fees. So from that perspective, you could have people investing that wouldn't have been investing anyway. And as long as they're not trying to compete in the buying and selling and trading, because I mean, this is clearly more evidence of one of the things I've been saying from the beginning. Don't try to buy and sell and play the game of being a trader because trust me, you're outmatched. You're outmatched, outgunned, outresourced, and that's a losing fight. But if you're not trading against these guys and you're buying and holding for long-term periods, whether we're talking about stock or cryptocurrency, my guess is A, you have a better chance, a much better chance, and B, you can actually really benefit from something like Robinhood's uh, zero fees. And that definitely makes up for the fact that they're selling your transaction data, I think. Yeah, one of the things that when people are normally investing, like, oh, I'll put $100 a week in, and I have to kind of tell them, like, for legacy stocks, I'm like, okay, that's fine, but save that up for a period of time and then, you know, invest, like, $600 into one thing and do that over the course of every, you know, every six months or whatever because you're going to get killed with the $6 commission on every $100. You can't just lose 6% right away. Like, the the market just isn't going to re- recover that badly. So, um, you know, yeah, that Robinhood is the perfect – investment tool for somebody who is just putting a hundred bucks in holding and not thinking about it and not trading actively. So I, yeah, I don't think they're stealing too much value from at least their target customers and really the people that they're stealing value from like, eh, you know, might've been losing a lot of value anyway. Yeah. It, it, this is a really weird dynamic, man, because it's going to be interesting to see how different companies develop this business model in ways that we are approving of and disapproving of because there's a lot of things where we're the product, right? But it just feels different the way Facebook does it and handle it than, for example, the way Google does it. Even though clearly Google is harvesting my data. Like, for example, I get so much value between Google Maps, Google, Google Drive, Google Photos, Android, Gmail account. Like, my, my freaking life is organized through the... Google services, and I know that they're throwing uh, ads in my face and they give me an opportunity to at least curate it. So I kind of can deal with it, you know? So clearly, at least one company has already showed me that there are product suites and there are scenarios where I'm going to be okay with being the product. But also, Facebook has shown me that there's going to be a lot of ways in which I'm pissed off that I'm the product and that I feel like I got screwed and that the service I was getting is definitely not worth the invasion of privacy. So it'll be interesting. All right, let's move on here. looks like there's a 21-day challenge in China. What's this all about, Brent? Do not invest in shitcoins. Well, this is not about a shitcoin, Mike. This is about a woman in China who has decided she's going to see if she can live for 21 days off of 0.21 BTC. 21 days off 0.21 BTC, uh, which is about $1,300. So if we ever decide to do a challenge of living off of $2,100 for 21 days, We that would be pretty – or, or $1,300 for 21 days, that'd be pretty easy, right? Like we could definitely do yeah, that. Yeah, but it could be 20K tomorrow Yeah, or $5. Uh, but we're not dealing with the regulations that China has kind of 
with hating Bitcoin. So remember that that Bitcoin isn't uh, Bitcoin isn't banned. I don't think, but the offshore exchanges are definitely banned, and crypto news is definitely banned in China. I can't remember what their stance is actually on Bitcoin. It, it might be banned or something, but it's damn near impossible to use. Like the only way you're going to use Bitcoin in China is getting somebody to buy it from you and send it to them like person to person almost. There's not going to be like any exchanges or institutional way to do this. Um, so she decided to try it anyway. It's a documentary series that's being released on their version of Netflix, which is Aishi, I guess. I, I, I think you Aishi, right? No, or Aikiyi? I-Q-I-Y-I. That's the name of the service. I don't know what I. Kai-yai. Seems pretty clear. How to Aikiyi. <laughs> anyway, th- that's their Netflix. It's on there. Uh, she's still kind of finishing it up as of yesterday, but she was a- the first thing she was able to do was rent a bike with the Bitcoin because she needed to be able to go to multiple vendors so like faster so that she could figure out who would actually give her the stuff. But found out that basically no one was taking it. Like the in the beginning, she was having a really hard time. She was living off of ketchup packets. Uh, wild fruit that she was finding. She was sleeping in 24-hour McDonald's. She even passed out due to low blood sugar at one point and got taken to the hospital, which I'm guessing either they don't have to pay for hospital or they're ignoring the hospital bills as part of the 0.21 BTC. And uh, really was saved when the community started to figure out what she was doing. They started to notice it on that like Netflix platform or somebody mentioned it. So they were on WeChat and the community was like, oh, shit, we'll, like, we'll swap this for you. So, uh, in the end, the community came together. She was able to start selling her Bitcoin and now living fine uh, and to finish out the 21 days. But, you know, I, it, it's interesting. It shows you, one, how both how far and how, how far we have to go and how far we've come. Because in a spot, in a country that is about as unfriendly to Bitcoin as you can be, uh, she's still able to spend it with the help of the community but also is unable to spend it without the help of the community. Initially, I thought this was a huge cop out. I was like, what? This is like just such a cheap way to like, quote unquote, win this challenge. But then I got to thinking like, this is what the world has become. Like, this is what Bitcoin is part of. It's being a part of internet communities. It's a part of like decentralized platforms and being able to chat with people anonymously and moving on and just being able to communicate with the world in a way that we've never been able to communicate at any other point in our, you know, history. (laughs) So I actually, I've now decided once the article's finished, I really like this. I think this is super cool. Um, I think the world is heading in a really interesting place. Do not invest in shit coins. <laughs> yeah. Split on this. Always interesting that people are willing to do stuff like this. Um, you know, like right off the bat for me, the moment you start eating wild fruit and have to sleep at a McDonald's, well, okay, you're basically homeless and don't have access to food. So I, let's just say you failed the challenge and, and move on. Uh, <laughs> but... You know, what you're saying about the community, it is interesting because in a way we're kind of like, ah, well, if it wasn't for the community, so the story is you can't live off of Bitcoin. But at the same time, there is something to be said about the fact that now it looks like in every country, there's a little community, even countries that resist BTC, there's going to be a little community of people that are like, oh, no, yeah, to us, this is currency. And as long as that little group of people gets a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger, then it starts kind of weighing on its own momentum. So 
Uh, a cool little art experiment. I'm sorry that she ended up in the hospital and stuff. I would not do anything like this, but cool. <laughs> this has Brent written all over it, by the way. Like, I actually feel like he's had this exact discussion with me, but about Europe and not China. But you wanted to do a month, right? Yeah, no, I was always spitballing the idea of living off of X amount of cryptocurrency via traveling and all that stuff, especially to prove uh, my good friend Ramsey wrong, who's uh, Ramsey Travels. He uh, he does like the Cuba stuff. You've heard me talk about him. He's like super anti crypto, but like also does you know he hasn't taken a whole lot of time to understand it. And I was like, I could travel the world with crypto. He wanted to tell me no, and I was like trying to cook up some sort of challenge there. So uh, I don't know. Maybe someday I I go forward with it and do it. But I uh, I'll still sweat it. By the way, side note: crazy news cycle age that we live in because there's like crazy news every other day. Freaking Cuba has a new president, and I feel like nobody even talked about it. I feel like that would be huge. New, like, oh, Cuba, new leader. <laughs> well, the president isn't really the powerful one there, but... Right, it's still Raul or Yeah, Raul is like the head of the Communist Party or whatever the case is. But the new president has done a couple cool things. Like, the, the new president is trying to legalize gay marriage. Which like yeah, I saw that. Castro yeah. rounded up gay people and killed them. So like the, that's a pretty well, Fidel, not Raul. Ra- Raul's daughter, I guess, was uh, big for gay rights movement in Cuba. So Cuba is always this interesting thing to kind of like watch happen. If you haven't gone, you should go. Like it's uh, it's it's really yeah, cool. It's, it's really nice. untouched. It's affordable too. It's getting more touched, but like it's still really interesting to see the the like vacuum of culture that goes on there. Let's move on to the next section. Looks like some public blockchain rankings. Kareem, what's this all about? Yeah, yeah, ah! yeah. And don't invest in shit coins. My man. I, I'll actually, I want to, I was going to say this only for the founding members, but I decided I want to share with everybody. So I have these lemon scented moist wipes that I am putting under my camera as a way to like, cause I want to wash my mouth out every time and remind myself I have to say that thing. So because I'm trying not to forget to add that to everything. I actually have installed a little reminder here. So I apologize, Brent. I did miss that one, but I've made a concerted effort not to miss them and do not invest in shit. Cool. And Mike, real quick, how many of those packets do you have there? Uh, one in my immediate reach, but there might be a couple others and don't invest in shit coins. Okay, cool. Anyway, so <laughs> Brent, Miss Philbemus. Yes. Mikey. Do you guys remember when this when the rankings of the cryptocurrencies first started coming out and everybody was like, oh my God, this company said this and, and then the Chinese. Yep. All right, so we have round five <laughs> of the CCID. Now, this is a company, it's a Chinese IT initiative under the Chinese Ministry of Industry and IT, Information Technology, right? Um, specifically, they're only ranking public blockchains. I think that will become more and more relevant into the future where there's going to be more and more private blockchains. And this is really focused on, of course, the public ones. Um, But my first impressions, they were terrible. It sucks. Like, I don't even know who's making these rankings, guys. Right off the bat, the number (laughs) one. I just scrolled down. Don't No, stop scrolling in. Yeah, okay, fine. Go look at (laughs) it. The number one ranked coin because of its overwhelming technology ranking. So these are rated in three dimensions. Technology basic technology, applicability, and creativity. EOS is the highest <laughs> rated coin 
with a, te- a technology score of 100, the next best is like 77. All right, so that's one of the Wait, first no, things Wait, no, it's 100.9. Out. Is this a scale to of 1 to 100? And they were like, this well, is EOS so is good. That good. Such the future, we got to put a 0.9 on the end. Yeah. That bitch an 11 like, out of a 10, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're going to give it 20 points per ICO. <laughs> that's 100. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so that, the first thing that jumped out right off the bat, EOS is number one overall, really, with the tech score, by the way. Of all the things that you can say that EOS is doing well, really the tech, when they're getting hacked left and right and their smart contracts are being breached, okay, sure, whatever, no problem. (laughs) Second thing that kind of stood out to me a little bit, in the top five, number one, Steam, number three, BitShares, number five, Steam, Uh, like, is this Dan Larimer's... best friend over here making these rankings real quick like we've said this from the start unfortunately there's just not that many like solid working products and like i think to somebody like this it that is using a non super educated crypto to create a, a design like i could i can easily see scenarios where people are ranking these very high it makes sense and not that, in shit coins. that neo and or i'm sorry steam and uh bit shares and eos are up there, like they do, uh, Neo, or sorry, uh, Steam and BitShares work. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. Now they might not, Steam might not do it properly. BitShares might not have the liquidity that they wanted, but the products work. Right. Okay. Fine. Now here's where I really want to go a little bit further to really prove to you guys that whoever made these scores has no idea what they're oh, talking yeah, yeah. about. This is I'm, clear. I'm gonna make some very wild accusations. I'm gonna say that they picked some of these stuff to make it look good for Larimer or whatever. Because look, Brent, you said, for example, Steam. The one thing we can say about Steam is that it's a working product, right? Well, they have its applicability score at an 8.8. It's the lowest in the top 10. (laughs) Here's another interesting fact. Look at the creativity score. You have something like, for example, uh, Ethereum has a creativity score of 27. EOS, 26. When EOS is basically just another Neo or Ethereum or whatever, but okay, 26 creativity score. Hey, what about IOTA? I'm not a big fan of IOTA, but look at the creativity score, 6.2. The first directed acyclic graph project has a 6.2 creativity. <laughs> what are they talking about here? These numbers don't make any sense. They're just throwing shit out. Bitcoin, they have Bitcoin ranked really low. Its overall score is 93 but it's because they gave it like a really crappy technology score. And in order to boost it, they just like increased its creativity score. Oh, it's a 36.3 creativity because it was the first one. But we'll just say the technology sucks. And, and it just, it just, whoever made these was just throwing numbers out. All right. This is zero credibility. Actual zero credibility. EOS is not the best. You missed my favorite one project. that you had in your notes and don't invest in shitcoin. Oh, uh, which one did I have in my notes? Hold on. I Ethereum got Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. Oh yeah! Oh, this one, this one made me laugh so hard. The creativity score for Ethereum twenty seven point three, Ethereum Classic six point eight. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they looked at it and they're like, Ethereum Classic. That's just a copy of Ethereum. They didn't even look into the background. So, uh, who made these, bro? This is a joke. This is a joke. Chai, listen, I'm gonna talk directly to Xi Jinping now because I know he's listening. Uh, he lis- He's listening to the show. Whoever's doing these for the ministry of the thing, change it up and get somebody that uh, I would recommend somebody that knows anything about cryptocurrency as an initial. uh, We are idiots. And I will go ahead and offer my services to the People's Republic of China. I'll come over there 
and take only double whatever you're paying this person, and I will do the job just as well. Keep in mind, Brent is most known for his excellent uh, selection of Bitcoin Private as his <laughs> no, say, favorite stop coin of all me. time. <laughs> so I wanted to create this argument that, like, in my mind, let's just pretend we somehow were having that discussion with this person that actually somehow may get to choose this person. How would I truly argue that this is one of the most flawed things? And and that's why I, I pointed in that last part, like... It's just absolutely not debatable that like like things such as Ethereum Classic and Ethereum, they have to be rated extremely similar. Like there's just it's impossible that this person can have any credibility at all unless certain projects which are either direct forks, direct comparisons, if these things are not overwhelmingly similar, then it's impossible to give this person the single bit of credibility. Yeah. And yeah. do not invest in shit coins. Yeah, I mean, again, literally the first ever DAG structure is it's in the single digits for creativity. You guys know I'm not a huge fan of IOTA. I'm not all over them because I don't like what some of the things the team are doing. But creativity, they're the first ones. And now everybody's talking about DAGs being the future, right? Or a lot of people are, I guess. A lot of projects are going that direction. So same thing with Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. That makes no sense. You want to say Ethereum Classic's like a 20 and maybe you're giving Ethereum more because they're moving on to Casper and Proof of Stake or whatever. Sure, you can make that argument. So there, maybe one's a 25, the other one's a 22. How can there be a 400% differential between <laughs> the original freaking project and creativity? That makes no no sense. The One of the major things that I have an issue with on this topic, the three of us are just fans of crypto we're just hobbyists we decide to do a show together we do these things we are quite literally not allowed to do our own versions of these rankings even though our opinion would be significantly greater than these because we have to run the risk of being sued or just like we, we just have to provide that we're not financial advisors. We have to stick it all over this. Like, it, it bothers me that I even have to get, obviously Kareem's telling me that this would not be a consideration for him. However, no. okay, so maybe it's this concept <laughs> has prevented us. me from could, even introducing this to the guys because it, I think this is something that people would benefit from quite a bit and don't invest no, in No, but coins. see, okay, but part, part of my criticism here, though, is that these rankings we can see how inherently flawed they are because the the scores don't make sense and actually my main argument is whoever did this didn't actually do the hard work which i think would be really hard work to actually break projects down into different categories and try to analyze how they're going to perform sure we could come up with a rankings list we could each come up with our rankings list but it's just that's all it is it's just a random opinion and that's why i kind of makes me laugh about this list is that all these decimal point scores in multiple dimensions and and they make it seem like so much thought has been put into this and it's so scientific. And literally, a cursory glance reveals it to be a total shit show. They have no clue what they're talking about. The pri the, the scores aren't internally consistent. So, it, I mean, forget about their opinion being valid. If they're not even internally consistent, what a piece of crap list. But I don't think anybody would care if we put out a top 10 list. Like, And, and if we say EOS is number one... We probably still won't get sued, even though we should. <laughs> uh, Kareem, Kareem's fired up about this list. But you're right. Like, why is it like 76.2 <laughs> instead of 76? Like, what? They they did. It's for the appearance of. Yeah. For the appearance of, uh, of specificity. <laughs> That's why they got 100.9 <laughs> out of. 100. <laughs> now I don't even know what these cards are. Added. 
They're out of a hundred. Oh, the overall index is just added. Also, by the way, it's not like an average. It's not like a weighted average. They're just like, all right, one hundred point nine plus seventeen point six plus twenty six point nine. Overall index one forty five point four. Yeah, everything's just weighted the same. <laughs> you just add it together. Uh, yep. Round five. Anyway, so we'll keep an eye on those uh, amazing. Com- by the way, congratulations to. Dan Larimer, he has been officially selected by the Chinese government as blockchain MVP for all of mankind. <laughs> he is Satoshi, Satoshi Nakamoto. Naka- the Satoshi Nakamoto Award for Excellence in Cryptocurrency goes to Dan Larimer. <laughs> what is it, Brett? Do you know his voice? No, I, I know his face, but I, I don't know his voice. Such a missed opportunity by us here. He always does the same voice. Whenever uh, Brent tries to mimic somebody, uh, I'm Dan Larimer, and I, <laughs> I've invented cryptocurrency. Now, when Satoshi Nakamoto yelled at me, Obama. that was actually me yelling at myself to give myself more credibility. I'm Dan Larimer. That that was his voice. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> Literally, how Brent does everybody. <laughs> All right, speaking of Mr. Larimer, let's go and discover another conversation about some troubles that EOS is having. This is another reminder. Please do not invest in shitcoins. Brent. Interference. Interference. I I would like to retransition to Brent. I'm just going to intercept this ball real quick, take it back, and... Brent, I would like you to tell us a little bit what's going on with the top-rated cryptocurrency (laughs) in the world, EOS, top-ranking basic technology to come out of the People's Republic of China worldwide, go. What's going on with EOS? Well, EOS is uh, back in our news, and as usual, it's not good. It's never good. It's never good with EOS when it's in our news. I'd really like to be like saying some really cool stuff about them someday, but um, we got a couple more issues. We talked about one on Tuesday in the R cryptocurrency chat. Uh, we're gonna just talk about it real quick. Basically, their EOS bets application got hacked. Um, so it's obviously not the EOS blockchain getting hacked. It's the D app, but like the D app is being deployed in such a way that it can be hacked. Basically, someone was able to make bets without actually putting up the EOS to make the bet. And then they were getting paid out if they won from EOS. So, uh, or from the people who were, who were making the bets. So, uh, they got away with around $200,000 doing that. I'd heard 600,000 at one point. I don't actually know which number is right. Point is, they were uh, they were st- they were stealing from the smart contract basically. I'm assuming that like a-, a loss that big to an online casino has to be like detrimental to the whole like detrimental to the point where it has to like collapse it right. It wasn't a casino. It was like one of those little smart contracts that they throw onto the EOS platform where everybody kind of like gambles together. I so think. it was another user that got drained. Yeah, I think it's basically everybody else that was betting that was getting got or it was getting oh, gotten from EOS. So somehow. much worse. I thought it was like I thought it was like, you know, we, when we were talking about the R cryptocurrency discussion Tuesdays at 11 to 12 noon every week. Mm-hmm. Um I thought when we were discussing it there it, it, in my own mind, it seemed like because I took the conversation down in a way of like advantage gambling where like sometimes exploits in the casinos are common in brick and mortar as well. Uh, so I thought maybe the casino or the ICO or whatever was taking a big hit here. But you're actually saying it was user to user and like think, just the people. I, you know what? You think? I don't know. I didn't do that much research into this. I just like think it's funny to to hear about the bad stuff. So uh, they do not invest in shit coins like EOS bet. Yes. Um so yeah, I don't I don't actually know whether they were like their own casino making a profit or if 
they were just like a smart contract that wasn't necessarily making a profit and it was like you know or maybe like they, whoever deployed the smart contract gets a piece of the fees or or the, somebody got somebody got screwed out of yeah, some money somebody got screwed <laughs> this was not created out of thin air speaking of thin air uh there's a company called tribe t-r-y-b-e that did an airdrop on uh airdrop to eos wallets so uh, and apparently they fucked it up like they did it on accident they they had been meaning to send out an airdrop but they wanted it to be like you know everybody gets 10 cents and instead like like people got like 100 bucks or something i'm making up making up numbers but it was uh, a huge difference of a decimal point uh so what happens? What happens when you accidentally send the airdrop to all these people and you don't get – you're like, oh, shit. We shouldn't have done that. We we meant to send a different number. You ask them to send it back. Yeah, no, you don't have to ask. You can just take it back. And I'm not kidding. You can take your <laughs> – if you have a an EOS token for your company and you've distributed it, you have full control over taking it back or moving it around. For how long? I don't know, but – uh, it looks like as long as you exist. So you can go into wallets and take it back. Not like the block oh. producers need to say it's okay. Not like you need to confirm the transaction as your own wallet. They can literally go in and take your tokens out. And it's part of EO. Not like it, this isn't a bug. It's a feature. Like this is. That's, that's why they have the best tech. Yeah. Boom. Like I don't know any other wallet that has this kind of technology. Yeah. Fucking, this is Why would you want a wallet where the right tokens here. can't be automatically removed? So <laughs> the tribe community put out a little memo that said, oops, our techie messed up. Hope you enjoyed the show. Read more on tribe. <laughs> like how tone deaf do you have to be to be like, oh, yeah, we just took all those coin backs, coins back. Oopsie. <laughs> enjoyed the show, didn't you? Uh, and I'm interested to see if anybody sold these coins somehow, and then it got taken back from the people that they sold them to, because that's a legitimate possibility. So here's my initial thought here. Um, I believe in Europe, they use the period instead of the comma to do their large numbers. Like like a million would have like two periods, I believe. And I've seen situations where like I've looked at a number that was like 10.000 and thought it was like 10 with three empty decimal places. Instead, it's trying to represent 10,000. I'm wondering if it's a situation like that where they were like trying to drop 10 of them, but the person saw like 10.0 and was like, or 10.00 maybe. And they were like, oh, well, they just forgot the zero on the end. So all right, I'll just send 10,000 to everybody. The guy's like, got a 10,000. There you go. He's like, what are you doing? You said 10,000. That was a decimal point. I don't know. I'm not American. How was I supposed to know? <laughs> uh, another fun, another fun fact: the CEO released a he released a statement on Reddit. I've got a, a link in the show notes. But one of the things he said in that statement was the fact that it doesn't have more bugs is a miracle in itself. So I don't know if he's talking about the EOS smart contract or his own smart contract or whatever. But he's literally that like, "Can't be real." Yeah, we fucked up. But hey, could be worse. There could be more. There should be more, in fact. We're actually doing a great job. Like, <laughs> so. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, I, I included it in the show notes because it would have sounded not real if I couldn't prove it. But it's there. It's provable. It exists. Uh, and the EOS community was actually really upset about this. Like, there's a video in the show notes also of a guy who who is like a big poster in the EOS subreddit who was just like, you fucking kidding me? They have access to our tokens? 
Like, what? This is not, like, we signed up for for EOS having the ability to handle disputes and have the block producers in, like, times of crisis go ahead and, refo- like, change it, like, doing the, the it, it was pitched like the DAO hack can never happen, but people can just take our tokens? What? Oh, go ahead, Mike. I lost you, Brent. Did you did you finish up what you're saying? I, I had a glitch there. Yeah, okay. yeah. He said it. it was it was your account. It was your account. Yeah. Okay. Um, I lost I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. And no, it's all good. No, but <laughs> and do not invest is, in shit coins. This is pretty insane, though. Of course, like if I can't imagine a scenario where I would be comfortable, you know, knowing that at any point if something goes wrong with the company, tokens that I bought, who knows how long ago, can just be removed from the world. This is just ridiculous. More EO stuff. I mean. Again, every story that I hear from them seems to be validating the fact that it's not a project. What the fuck is the difference between EOS and a bank? That Dan Larimer owns it? Like, I don't understand. Like, we're get, we're at this point. If they can just take your fucking money, they're they're a bank without any regulation. Which I don't know if that's better or worse. Yeah, but you know, it's worse. All right, guys, let's take a journey to crypto around the world. Do not invest in shit. <laughs> Alrighty, Kareem. Step one, Bitcoin mining. Step two, pirate party. Step three, Czech prime minister. Step four, blank. That's going to be the story. On to you, Brent. Step no, five, Mike? Kidding. Nah. Profit. All right. Nope. What else? So this story- and don't invest in shit. Uh, this story was given to me by our uh, managing editor over at Crypto Basic Studios, Brent Philbin, he kind of gave me the no, no, no. I got it from uh, like, somebody in the in the Discord. They tagged yeah, you. This felt, like, this felt like a Lumaflux thing. I, let me. Like, could be. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to get that wrong, but they well, tagged hey, listen, you in okay. posting it. That's... They wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Oh, interesting, interesting. I got it. I did get it from our editor, though, Brent Philbin. <laughs> just, I was just stating the facts. All right. So, Czech Prime Minister accuses the party, pirate party, of mining bitcoins. Here's the story: the current Prime Minister uh, in the Czech Republic. Basically, he's getting into a little war of words with some of the people of the Pirate Party because they have been criticizing him for not starting the government's uh, the process of moving government records into an electronic database. It was Z-Man. So that easier. It was Z-Man. Anyway, so that they're easier to, hand, to access, uh, easier to manage, etc. And apparently, it became a big story because the guy responded, the prime minister responds by saying... You guys don't know anything about information technology. The only thing you've done related to IT is mine Bitcoin, which is kind of like a weird attack. <laughs> you don't know shit about tech except you're on the cutting edge of it. <clears throat> <laughs> well, so apparently the leading member of the Pirate Party, which is a young party over there, and I think I think the original Pirate Party came from Iceland. That's what I want to say. But anyway, I think it's a party that has been spreading throughout Europe. And they are mostly focused on transparency, anti-corruption, electronic governing. They tend to be pro-crypto. They tend to be very, like, tech-oriented. They also have the coolest um, name of any party ever. Fuck Republicans yeah, and Democrats. Yeah, Party's pretty... Yeah, for sure. Pirate Party sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I want to go to a Pirate Party. But, So in the Czech Republic specifically, these guys have about 10% of parliament. They have 22 out of the 200 seats. And I guess the leader of the group, um, after election, they're given like a place where they reside, like 
a house, an office, whatever it is. And apparently there was a scandal because they're accused of using that space to run a Bitcoin mining hub. And then now here's where it got kind of interesting. <laughs> the the article was like, oh, in response to this, he said that he uses the computers to keep his house warm, which was funny, but that was linked. So I was like, oh, I need to go read that story. And I click on the linked story. And it's a link to a totally different story about college people and, and Bitcoin. So I was like, ah, I couldn't dig any deeper there. Um, we were kind of getting ready to start the clock, but it, it's a cool story. It's a funny story. I do think in general, like, I don't think you're going to make someone look bad or not knowledgeable about tech by attacking them saying, oh, you just mine Bitcoin. Like, I think most people are going to have a neutral or positive <clears throat> response yeah. to that. All right, guys, I, I actually have a breaking story that I wished I had looked into earlier, but it's it's so applicable to the flagship news. that I have to in, I have to drop a bomb um, after not investing in shit coins. Breaking news. We're going to go to our reporter on the field, Michael Lockie. General. Um, so Lumma Flux sent this to us last night and I saw it like as I was going to bed and forgot to check it this morning. Um, apparently. Binance Info 2.0 is being launched where they're doing a rating system of projects that is probably the way it should be done. Oh. And um so they're calling it Binance Info 2.0. Um it was it was designed to enable users to quickly learn about each crypto project on the network and the services it provides. Um it's analyzed more than 1400 coins to date and they've officially launched the beta of this. Um, looks like uh, they've compiled resources from more than 50 rating agencies, capital, and media across the globe to build a library of nearly a thousand reports. Aha! Uh-huh. Um, they've got the website here. Um, Let me see if you can unlock infos. Project. Oops. So basically, like anything on their platform, especially, you're going to be able to just dig a bunch of info up on, which is obviously extremely useful and very practical compared to the the modern Wall Street compared to crypto. Yeah, uh, well, there's a lot of like modern Wall Street, like a lot of the exchanges will have a lot of information. So I just clicked on the latest rating for Bitcoin, It said 4.0. The latest rating for EOS is, uh, oh, wait, they're um, looks like they're not using their own ratings. They're compiling others. So and it's actually really Mm. clunky, like you can't see the uh, they've got 4.0 for EOS. Uh, I don't know. Let's go to IOTA. It looks like looks like this may not be that good, uh, at least right Cardano. now. Cardano, give me Cardano. Cardano. Uh, so IOTA looks like uh, there are currently no review of this coin. Okay, so we don't know about IOTA. Uh, Cardano is four point five. So they're just taking the the ratings of like different rating agencies and posting them under the latest rating. No, no, that that's just market cap. Yeah. <clears throat> no, but look, that's fine though. I mean. A collection of rankings is still useful because then we start getting, you know, we've talked about before the wisdom of the crowds. Any one rating agency probably doesn't mean that much, but if we if we get a bunch of independent eyes on oh, it, oh, this is mostly just a like, coin market cap replacement, not necessarily like a rating system. Oh, they're trying to be a better coin market cap. That's what's happening here. Yeah, they have star ratings that are coming in from different, uh, like different agencies. Breaking but- news! Breaking news! Binance is going to have a coin market cap replacement. That's right. We, we discovered that live. That was kind of fun. We like did all our research. You heard it. Live together. You heard it here first at Crypto Basic. 
uh, your source for breaking news of all kinds. All right. All right. Binance is a better coin market cap. Cool. We could have summed that up in a minute. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a wrap. The article wasn't very deep. Interesting, though. I like the idea that members of government are already being accused of mining too much Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you're a Bitcoin miner. What do you know about <gasps> protecting the environment? You only made us put more national parks in last summer. That's all you care about. I can't wait for politicians to start attacking each other. But, but oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you, you only got into cryptocurrency in 2024. All righty, guys. Let's move on to some of the rants. Uh, I'm not sure who wants to lead off. Is this all Brent or where, where is it? What's what, what are people inspired? So I like this, I like this quote by Ben Horowitz. Uh, and in this, like in this bear market situation where we got a lot of people that are coming up to us and be like, ha ha, I told you crypto was a scam. Uh, it's important to keep things in perspective. So this quote was literally nobody has said that to me, by the way. Oh no, I get people to do it all the time because they like. You know, they see like me posting about it and they're like, ha yeah, nice returns. If I you had invested in the stock market, like whatever the the dumb thing isn't investing in scams. It's giving up on the whole industry because there are some stupid people in it. So that is a very like if you get scammed a couple times, like, well, do your own research. Listen to us. We try to point out scams before they happen um, and, you know, pick up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Do it again. Because uh, so, uh, somebody in a, like a subreddit made a good point uh, when they were talking about how like EOS is really sucking and a lot of people invested in it. They're like, honestly, if you don't invest in a couple of scams over the course of your cryptocurrency career, you might be doing it wrong because we're still so early that there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity <laughs> to get scammed. Blood is boiling right now. <laughs> no, no, no. I get it. Listen, I've made investment investment mistakes in crypto. Yeah, I we all have. Um, I'm I'm satisfied with the fact that the the few that I made that I thought were mistakes I did with very very careful bankroll management. They were moonshots, and when I realized that they were actually just trash shots, uh, I was I was kind of at peace with it. Yeah, I mean this this resembles a lot about you know all types of gambling investing philosophies. You know when it comes to poker, there's there's no correct way to play. There's times where you can play extremely aggressive. There's times where you want to play very passive. And there's times where you know you just need to, you know, go for it and and when the time is right. And you know, sometimes I think that people being afraid to fail is gonna hold them back a lot in life. And, you know, that's what investing is. You invest you the if you have the expectation of potential returns, you should always have equal or greater expectations of possibilities of losses as well. And not investing in shit coins. This is a very risky space. Well, inverse, 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 guys, right? Like, not equal possibility of losing, but to understand that our profit and our reward is always proportional to yes. our risk. So that if we're getting something that we believe is going to close, like if you go buy Google or Apple, or if you go buy something like Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, but something steady, understand that you're taking on less risk and that's why you're going to get lesser returns. And the moment that you start looking at things that you believe can go 3x, 4x, I mean, multiple times their own value and investment, that obviously comes with a lot of risk that is inherent to investment, higher risk, higher reward. So understand that inverse relationship and then make sure you build your own personal life in a way that yeah, that can be managed. Mm -hmm. You know, invest There's going to be scams. There's going to be like pseudo scams. There's going to be companies that do ICOs and then just stop developing their shit. And there's going to be like 
coins that get hacked and uh, on exchanges. Like if you leave your money on exchanges, you're gonna lose. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. But again, this is extremely risky in investment class. Like you, yeah, you're gonna probably end up getting some, getting some scams. Don't give up on the tech because there are some stupid people. Like the tech has only gotten better. The tech does not is not representative of the market as a whole. We've only seen improvement. We've only seen more people start developing it. More people learn to be blockchain developers, et cetera, et cetera. All right, Kareem. We uh, we had a recent episode Hot of the Roundtable when Moon, and now we would like to update some of our thoughts on that sh- on that episode. What do you got for us here? Yeah, so we just talked about how uh, Elon had announced that SpaceX was going to send somebody to the moon, and it was going to be announced on Monday. Well, it was announced. It was in fact Japanese, as we had teased. In the episode, because Crypto Basic is your source for breaking news and rumors. Anyway, uh, the guy's name is Yusaku Maezawa. The guy is only worth... Kareem, you blew it, man. Brent's got to do that one. Nah, nah, nah. Screw that. Japanese names are fun to say. I wanted to say <laughs> Just, just... Yusaku. That sounds fantastic. Like, Yusaku. All right. Anyway, uh, he's worth approximately $2.9 billion. So, he's got a few dollars to spare. Apparently, this guy is known for being a big art lover, having spent as much as $110 million in a single painting. So this is one of those guys. Wow. Well, here's the cool thing, though. As part of his moon mission, where he's going at basically as a tourist to experience this, he's taking a bunch of artists with him. That was the big announcement. And I think it's awesome. He's not just taking painters. He's going to take... Uh, painters, artists, filmmakers. He said it's going to be a wide range of fields. And on top of that, Elon Musk announced that they're going to be streaming the whole thing in VR. Now, I don't know if that part's going to come through or not. It wouldn't be the first time that one of Elon's predictions doesn't come. VR is going to be a lot easier to handle in five years, too. No, for sure. For sure. And honestly, I really love the idea of this project because not to get too poetic or anything, but we really are kind of tiptoeing into the age of space exploration, right? Like, yeah, we went to the moon in the 60s, but we really had it like haven't been back. We haven't been a lot of places, but this seems to be where we're revisiting that, right? We're landing on some asteroids. We have robots and Mars. We have now spacecrafts that are gone beyond the solar system and the voyagers. And now we're really talking about sending humans as far as the moon who aren't necessarily just trained astronauts and to be able to send a group of artists to mark that point in history to make films about it to to like kind of inspire a new generation of people i don't know it's really exciting it's poetic i think it's very typical of musk and it's really cool that he found somebody with the money and to 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 spend on this here's one thing i'll say about elon he i have never seen anybody more creative in ways that they find to fund their their adventures like he is he's awesome and i'm you're right we are tiptoeing into space exploration we're trying to completely destroy the fermi paradox like we're going out there <laughs> like seriously man you know when spanish ships were leaving europe and coming to the americas the people that came back with stories or the people that came back with paintings or the people that came back with artifacts like they were sparking the imagination of an entire continent like Young people were looking at that and being like, damn, I want to go there. I want to see what that's like. I want to, you know, what, whatever it is. So if you're taking a wide-ranging group of artists with different styles and different mediums, 
you know, I, I know it's kind of intangible, so I don't want to be like, oh, this is, but it really does have the potential to inspire a bunch of people um, and to, to inspire like society. So on, on top of the idea that he's going to bring a bunch of particular artists with them, do we do we have an approximate count of how many artists did they say? I think it was no, I mean, my guess eight. is it would. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Okay, so uh, I mean, that's quite a few. One of the things that also came to me is that they have five years to blog about this, to record documentaries about this, to interview people about this. And, and this is something that upon launch is going to be probably one of the most memorable events of my generation or of my life. And like the fact that we have something extremely positive to hang our hats on and the fact that, you know, Elon is uh, forced himself into the public's eye a lot more than he was maybe a year or two ago. I think this is just showing really positive outlook for the human race that for a long time, man, I was really struggling with finding some positive news about. And it's just nice when you see really successful people doing things for the benefit of others. Yeah. The human race is easy to find great positive news about, not so much the United States human race. I I disagree with that too. There's plenty of good news. Yeah, look, look for the help. We live in an age where everything's going on. It's just the information bubbles. It's just what we listen to. It's just what we filter. It's just where we go. You know what I'm saying? If we're reading Time magazine and watching CNN and Fox News all the time, then we're going to see a very different world than if we're reading Scientific America and you know Nature and reading National Guard. Like really cool stuff is going on. We are in a very cool age. The United States is definitely playing a role. And we just have to, you know, it's just a big balance. And we filter our own information diet. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle I would prefer change. not to call it a diet. <laughs> Sorry, Brent. I didn't mean you... to offend you. Oh, geez. So I had a little rant that I wanted to introduce here. Um, I decided to take the plunge last week and try the Samsung Galaxy Note 9. And um, overall, I had it for about five days, decided that... The features that everybody particularly cared for, the people that I talked to, it didn't resonate with me. I decided that it wasn't wasn't something I was going to stick with. So I, I had a T-Mobile rep um, that was very frustrating to deal with. Uh, he just gave me a very slimy attitude the whole time, and and I tried my best to. Were you in store? I was in store. Not yes. surprising. The, I love T-Mobile. The in store experience with T-Mobile is fucking god awful. And I do everything that I can to avoid it. It is horrendous. Good to know. So I decided to to go in because I wanted to honestly, I wanted to check out the the new iPhone release. This was last Friday um, after we recorded or, or no, sorry, last Friday before I went in to go play. I checked out the the I wanted to check out the new iPhone X A or X Max, whatever, and the new Galaxy phone. And maybe, you know, just kind of see which one I'd be more interested in. Um, I decided that I didn't like the iPhone and I wasn't looking to upgrade or or transition. So I decided I was going to give this Samsung a shot and kind of see what all the hype's about. Um, I decided it wasn't for me. So I go to return the phone and and I'm and, and there's a new rep there. And like immediately when I when I go to return the phone, she's like, oh, well, I mean, there's a restocking fee for that. And I was like, OK, all right, well, what is that all about or how does that work or where did this come from? Because I had talked with a guy that I wasn't sure what phone I wanted and and he just never bothered to, like, include that there would be a restocking fee here. So that, that frustrated me. I think that's a bad user experience. And I kind of like so then the second girl, she's like, all right, all right, all right. So I have a solution for you. So what you do is after 30 days. 
There's no restocking fee. So you could just switch your phone to the next one. Cause the program that I have is, is leased phones where you can, you could change it three times a year. It's called jump on demand. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, that's kind of an interesting solution. Um, but I don't want to wait that long. And it makes no sense for me to like keep a brand new device opened in a bag for 30 days and to bring it. So to me, I'm just like, no, there's got to be a better solution here. That seems like an incredibly terrible user experience. So I call up uh, the 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 people on the phone, and which apparently Brent's suggesting I should have done in the first place. And I did get a very helpful rep that, um, you know, kind of actually answered my questions the way I would have expected the first time was able to intelligently explain to me all my pros and cons, whatnot. Uh, so definitely should have been told about the 50 up front. But even though that I wasn't, the second girl I'm actually more frustrated about because with these two phones on the agreement, I would have to pay a $270 deposit on the brand new iPhone or the brand new Galaxy. If I waited the 30 days, I wouldn't get that 270 back. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh my god i fucking hate t-mobile stores i love t-mobile but the stores are so awful so like the second girl's like solution to this whole problem would have cost me an extra 220 dollars in the problem which like i was like through the roof when i heard about this i'm like literally sitting outside in the parking lot of this place still and I'm just like, well, close my accounts. I'll just go without a phone for a few days. I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to end it all. Uh, but I ended up getting a, a better solution. Um, I ended up just purchasing an iPhone eight plus, um, getting off the lease program and, and they ended up waiving the $50 restocking fee. And when I, re- when I finally returned the phone, the original guy was there and in returning, he very slightly mentions the restocking fee, but very quickly waves it off and be like, yeah, there's a little bit of a restocking fee, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you a free phone case and, you know, just don't worry about it. And basically just never mentions the word $50 at any point in the exchange. So I know that I'm getting this 50 wave. So I'm like, oh, phone case, huh? Tell me more. So I end up getting, I end up getting this guy for two phone cases for free. And I'm getting the $50 restocking feedback and uh, screw those in-store agents. Yes. <laughs> I do whatever I can humanly possible not to go in the store. 100% of my T-Mobile store experiences are god awful. Like 100% of the in-store experiences and 100% of my on-phone experiences are perfect. So it's like I don't know why they have such a divide there. But with Jump On Demand, if you when you turn in your old phone, you have to go into the store. You can't send them through the mail anymore because of like – exploding note eights or sevens or whatever that was so uh yeah and it and every time i go in i'm like hey, i need to like send this they're like i don't know how to do that like every time it's ridiculous okay sorry good rant good rant i was ready to rant on that too and i didn't even know all right guys let's move on to the mailbag section after not investing in shit coins yeah crit basic flagship friday you listen to the mailbag drop where we break down a member's thoughts. Just starting crypto, don't you stop. Keep listening till you hit the spot. Woo! All right, question one from Urko. Uh, he tags me and basically asks, uh, I want, he was asking me more about Neblio. It's been a part of his portfolio for a while, and he's, he's confused about the proof of stake function. He says, if I'm staking, the wallet must be unlocked, right? So I have, every time I log into a PC, write a password to unlock it. It's becoming pretty annoying. How do I solve this? Just keep it open all the time. Although they say it should be locked to keep your funds safe. 
Okay, so this is more of a generic proof of stake question than it is to particularly to the Neblio platform. Um, the one of the main downsides to traditional proof of stake wallets is that they need to be running at all times and you can't stake your funds without unlocking them. What I liked about Neblio compared to other proof of stake platforms was that very early on in their development, they released a wallet for the Raspberry Pi and Brent was able to set up the Raspberry Pi for me. And what that does, it's like a, it's like a 30 ish dollar computer. It's just a little tiny Linux computer. I have it plugged into my bedroom TV. It's just, it's a very simple little thing and it, it runs my wallet 24 seven, um, with the TV unplugged from it. So it's just a little tiny box sitting in my room staking on the Neblia wallet that I have running. What I've noticed with other situations, because I found myself leaving my, my laptop running at all times and I decided that was not desirable. Um, Stellar has a web wallet that they use that you can just, um, if you, if you log into the web wallet and keep your funds in there, it'll automatically stake them for you. Um, I am not a security expert. I have no idea how good that is, but Stellar is a big enough project that I'm hoping it's been vetted properly by the right people. So what I would say is that honestly, every proof of stake project is different. If you own a coin such as this, you probably should be in their discord or their telegram. So you have, ac you have direct access to the community to answer any specific questions and also like make sure you're not missing a lot of things. Like they do airdrops on Neblio. So you may have you know, valuable tokens on there, but it, it's a little tricky to access. Um, it's, it's something that I've, you know, not found the time to do because you have to have gas in each wallet to send the tokens out. Basically, if you're involved in a crypto project, you should be keeping up to date with it and making sure that you have the latest upgrades and wallets, et cetera, and don't invest in shit coins. Yeah. As much as we like to give you the overarching information, we're not good enough to keep up on multiple projects, even the ones that we've done one-on-ones on. So Definitely, if you own a coin, you should be in their social media circles so that you can get the updates. All right, Brent, I'm excited to hear your response to this one, but uh, we had a question from Phil. I wonder if that's the Phil. Well, I mean, I highly doubt <laughs> that. Uh, basically, the question is, why are so many crypto projects set up as foundations? Well, I, I think the, the answer to that question is probably way more complicated than I'm going to make it out to be. But the answer to my understanding is that they don't want to be run by corporations so the foundations are non-profit they pay their members who do their things that do the development do the running of the companies a salary but otherwise they don't take any profit and they help move the development of the project but they don't own the project so the ethereum um are they well the ethereum classic is cooperative ethereum regular is uh foundation i think so ethereum foundation is not it doesn't own Ethereum in any way. It could easily just be told, you know, go f yourself. You don't get to develop Ethereum anymore by the community just not accepting their Ethereum improvement protocols. But for the most part, they are they were given a bunch of Ethereum to run Ethereum. So the community gave it to them as a nonprofit. They operate off of that, and then they also develop the the project. So that's what. A, a lot of coins don't go the full step to full decentralization because for the most part, they're kind of developed by these, by the foundations or the cooperatives. But at the same time, those things could in theory be fired by the community, not as easily as like firing like a CEO on a DAO or something like that, but it could be done. So it's, it's not a corporation. 
so it's a little bit more crypto friendly and therefore they're not like trying to generate a profit. They're just trying to upkeep the coin. Yeah, I, I think it's something basically like what Brent has said. Um, it's a more core uh, foundation is going to provide a more transparent option. And in a lot of jurisdictions, it's going to have very specific rules. So like I know a lot of these foundations are set up, for example, in Germany, where the laws about what it takes to be a nonprofit, the transparency laws, the everything. So basically, it's I think it was originally meant to create more trust in the community. And I also feel that it was just a better alternative until treasuries came along again, introduced by Dash. And we have seen more and more projects implement uh, treasuries. So there's definitely, I do think that there's definitely a lot of foundations and I do think that they presented a better alternative to just being run by some kind of, like Brent said, private little business that doesn't have the same um, rules and regulations that it's abiding by. But I also think there are worse options to treasuries, which are more decentralized, more, uh, and I think they're going to become more and more prevalent in this space. As IOHK figures out the 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 DAO as a service thing that they've got going, I think we're going to see a lot more yeah, that's implementation cool. of that versus. Um, I agree. Versus I agree foundation. with you. All right, last mailbag questions comes from uh, Fancy One Dan. And he basically asked about a Twitter thread. Um, seems like a strong centralization possibility with proof of stake, saying that basically saying that exchanges will eventually want to pay you to keep your ETH in there so that they can get more control over the network if and when it switches to proof of stake. So um, I ended up cutting and pasting a, a few of the initial tweets and then one that I scanned later on just to simplify it for you guys. But the basic idea is that if Ethereum switches to a proof of stake concept, then a large exchange that holds a, tr a very large wallet of this will be staking the entire balance. And basically, you know, eventually they're going to have to offer rewards to people to you to basically store the tokens on the network. This is something that I'm certain is going on. I know that some of them will pay dividends. Some of them won't. Um, oftentimes, uh, NEO, for example, a lot of exchanges will pay out the NEO gas to people because NEO is such a large project and people are more aware of the rewards. Um, you know, other projects that are more proof of stake, like, you know, in the previous question, we were discussing Neblio. I find that you know, something like that, people aren't always fully aware how the proof of stake works, how to set it up. So they may be more apt to leave their coins on the exchanges, which the exchanges are then going to take advantage of. So do either of you have any immediate opinions on this idea? So what this guy's saying is he's like, oh, once Ethereum goes proof of stake, like the exchanges are all going to get 100% control of it. And like, they're going to be able to move the network around. And they're also going to try to by influence by basically giving people even more than their staking rewards by to get them to put their ethereum on their website so they can do so they can do whatever look this already happens with other proof of stake coins like you yes some of the exchanges will let you get your neo gas rewards uh some of the exchanges will let you get other proof of stake rewards but other exchanges won't so People are already making that same decision. I think this person's finding uh, – his name's Matt O'Dell. Uh, he's kind of listed as a uh, Bitcoin and distributed systems co-host of RHR. I don't really know what any of that means. I mean I know what Bitcoin and distributed systems means. But if he's more interested in Bitcoin, then he's basically just trying to push an argument of why proof of work is better. And I just don't see this as being a concern. Um, 
the if the exchanges are able to influence the coins if they're able to influence proof of stake single handedly then you've made it incorrectly almost like the there the, no single exchange should be able to get that much uh power and that's what we have with the mining pools anyways like the right now the with ethereum with bitcoin the mining pools have centralized that and i think that it's less likely to be centralized with all the coins being distributed than it is with the computing power being distributed because the computing power you can just buy more of it and have it sit there and the little guy can't do that little guy can buy like if i'm rich and i don't want to learn about how mining works i can just buy a bunch of ethereum but you know so don't keep your money on exchanges shit (laughs) that yeah but brian another thing too is i can't say that everybody's working on this and i'm sure that there's a lot of projects that that use proof of stake that are probably ignoring this but I can say from some of the interviews that I've heard, for example, with Charles Hoskinson, that I that Cardano is taking stuff like this into account. They're very specifically into how they design their proof of stake system, are taking into, into account that there's going to be specific wallets, mainly exchanges, that have a disproportionate amount of the coin that they don't actually own. Right. Right, and they're taking very specific steps into how they're going to design it so that that doesn't throw things off balance. My guess is, if Cardano is doing it, some of the other big projects are doing it as well, and this means that the industry is definitely going to probably bifurcate into those who account for this and therefore are not exposed, and that's going to rise to the top. That solution is going to spread out to the rest of the market. I don't see this being a big problem. What's actually going to happen in the in the end, if we end up going to a lot of lot more proof of stake than proof of work, what's actually going to happen is the exchanges are going to start saying you have your voting rights. They're going. I don't know if you've ever gotten a notification on Robinhood, for instance, that we've been talking about, or your own exchanges where you own stock and they're saying, "Hey, there's a vote. Please vote on this." Like the exchange doesn't cast your vote for you; they give you. They tell you, hey, there's a vote. Vote for what's going on. Vote for a board member. Vote for whatever. And that will just eventually happen with cryptocurrency exchanges. It's not now because there's not as – like the, the coins where you can do the voting and all that stuff are less in your face. Uh, like the way voting works with like mining and all that isn't as, e- isn't as intuitive. But it will get more and more intuitive. And as you hold your stuff on exchanges, you're just going to be prompted to vote. Like that will happen. Not right away, but it will. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Anything else we're looking to cover, guys? Nah, man, I think uh, think we covered it all. all I- right. Agreed. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name was Mike. I was here with Brent and Kareem. Thanks again for tuning in. And please do not invest in shit coins! Exclamation point. Also, like and subscribe the, down there. That's, that's cool. And uh, join the Discord. Lots of cool stuff going on there. Like voting for our future 101 projects. Hey, we're also not financial advisors. Anything we say is just the entertaining musings of idiots. Do your own research. All investments have inherent risk. (laughs) 